The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett, here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jelinch, and today we'll discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. Each week on the show, we'll respond to a listener question or comment. So please let us know what's on your mind. We love to hear from you. Today's show is titled Working for a New Freedom. The many gifts of addiction recovery come to us when we're willing to work for them. Part of that work is facing the wreckage of our past. To do so, we must combine right intention with the guidance of a trusted advisor in order to get real results. We must, quote, do the work, as we say. But just how do we go about doing this work? Today, we want to share how the power of love has helped us find our way from complacency to freedom and can help you find your way, too. So we'll begin today by sharing our own experiences of complacency, what that looked like for us. Then we'll move into the solution of the power of love. And after the break, we'll share exactly how the power of love helped us move from complacency to freedom. So, Dan, can you tell us about your experience with that complacency on your recovery path? Oh, yeah, I I can. It it comes back fairly readily when I think back about it. And it it may be that, you know, some of the the things that I'll share here are not unique to those of us uh, in addiction uh, at that time or in addiction recovery. Uh, But certainly I've found them present in my life. And I guess the, you know, first and foremost, what comes to mind is this habit that I had I use the past, I'll, uh, in, a, in an affirming sense, I will use the past tense, even though I still kind of, <laughs> even though I still kind of have it, uh, but not as much, uh, of this habit of generally avoiding anything that could be avoided. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's common uh, to those of us. Uh, I have no idea what you're of... talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's okay. It's just me. That's cool. No. But, you know, anything that I could avoid, I did. And and that, of course, is because my, you know, underlying motivation, though not apparent on the surface, was uh, alcohol. 
you know, that was my um, drug of choice. So, yeah, if I could avoid doing something, I would avoid doing it. So I was joking, Dan, because I totally, you know, can <laughs> I can relate to that. I think it's a common thing. Um, I don't know. Addicts maybe are we're pleasure seekers, right? We don't want to do things that are painful, uncomfortable, uh, challenge us, scare us push us out of our comfort zone. So I can totally understand that. It's something that I continue to struggle with today, being willing to take on those tasks that feel daunting to me. Um, but I think that you're talking a little bit, a, a little bit differently in my, uh, active addiction. I was an overdoer, you know, I was a workaholic. I was one of those people that was never still, um, except when I was drinking, that's when I was still, but the rest of the time I was running around like crazy. So the complacency piece for me, really looked more like not avoiding doing things, but avoiding confrontations, avoiding, um, issues, you know, just kind of not wanting to, not wanting to confront those things that needed to be cleared away or needed to be made amends for, or just, yeah, just general avoidance of it. Yeah. And I, I, pre I, I like that. Cause I definitely also did those things, you know, avoiding conflicts, avoiding, um, you know, interactions that felt intimidating or something like that. And maybe I'm realizing once again, that of course I've, I do everything I do is introvert flavored. So my introvert flavored, uh, avoiding shows up as, you know, not, participating in things because that was sort of my, my go-to. So for example, some of the kinds of things that would not get done are like maintenance on the house. Yeah. Now it's, it's pretty easy to put off maintenance on the house. That is not oh, yes, unique, is. not unique to those of us because that's something that absolutely changed um, over time and is not, I'm, I am far more likely. In fact, I might even be able to say I, I fairly aggressively stay on top of the things that need to be done because I, I get a bad feeling in my gut now if I'm avoiding something because it was such a part of my life before and, and it's been there's been a real change in me. And I feel much better. I never felt good about avoiding things except that sort of short term like, whew, I guess I don't have to deal with that now. Um, but I'm not willing to do that anymore. The, it, there's more downside to that today for me than upside. So yeah, like house maintenance. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's something that I heard the other day that's a little bit of a tangent, but that maybe explains a little bit why that's such a common experience to many of us in addiction. Uh, so many of us also simultaneously deal with issues of depression and when folks have depression or other related mental illnesses like PTSD or, you know, just general overwhelm, our executive functioning kind of goes out the window. And executive functioning is the ability to sort of break down a project that needs to be done into doable pieces. So we just kind of, our brains just kind of short wire and we can't even begin to figure out how the project is going to get done. That's one piece of it. Then it's also just that desire to, because there are certainly other things that I get done very well, right? It's the desire to avoid things that are um, difficult. You know, the other thing about complacency for me was um, 
I just, I didn't know how to admit mistakes. Um, I don't want to blame this on my family, but somehow I didn't learn that growing up. I don't know if it wasn't modeled or I somehow just didn't get it. But it was very hard for me to admit that I had done something wrong because I was so shame-based that um, admitting something I had done wrong would cause me to have a shame attack, right? So that was much too painful. So it was easier to just pretend like it wasn't there or it hadn't happened. Um, and of course, the you know twisted thinking is that if I don't mention it, it goes away, right? <laughs> but it doesn't. It's still there. So, yeah. Another thing that comes to mind, because as I began to think about this, that that whole not taking care of things, that's probably a better way to say it, instead mm -hmm. of avoiding anything, not taking care of things was a big part of it for me. So another thing that I did not take care of, and I, I know that this, that I'm not alone in this, because this used to come up in the, in my, in my home group, it was a, got a lot of nodding of heads, you know, th car repairs, car repairs. I wouldn't <laughs> deal with something going on with my car unless it was out of gas. Um, you know, until it became a big problem. Now I did yeah. do okay with the oil changes, but you know, if it's making a funny noise, oh yeah, I guess I'll get, uh, it's getting much worse. And, yeah. you know, I've kind of have to be almost up against the wall in order to uh, agree to go ahead and, and take care of it. You know, it, it, it's just, again, another instance of if, if it wasn't, you know, on my short list of important things, uh, drinking, having a place to live, eating, stuff like that, then, yeah. you know, it got put off as long as possible. And again, today, that's, I'm, I am far better about those kinds of things today than I have been in the past, much more likely to get onto something, uh, quickly or sooner because I I've learned I can, you know, feel good about getting it done and, and not have to carry it around. Uh, yeah. When before I was kind of making an ever increasing pile of things to carry around, it seemed like. Yeah. Yeah, I relate to all of that. Um, to bring it back a little bit to the um, eighth step and the amends process, you know, again, um, that inability to uh, face and fess up, so to speak, to my own behavior, um, it was, there was a, backdrop to that of, you know, fear of not being liked by people. If I admit what I've done, then people aren't going to like me. I have to be perfect. Um, again, the, the twisted thinking, you know, I mean, people obviously know what, what we've done. It's <laughs> not, not, um, confronting it or facing it or making amends for it doesn't make it go away or not have happened. So, but, there was just that inability to admit behavior and that's a, you have to begin to be able to do that and see our own behavior clearly. If we, I mean, how are we going to even begin to make that eight step list if we don't have the ability to, so as long as I was still shame-based and obsessed with being perfect and wanted everybody to like me, that kept me in complacency because it didn't allow me to see those things that I needed to begin to face. And for me, that's really been a process, a process of many years. As I peel away layers and layers of shame and self-loathing, um, that I'm able to see myself more clearly and see my behavior more clearly. 
So that's really been the process for me. When I think back, and, and again, and, and this is good for me to do because it helps me to see that I've made some progress in, in, in my way of showing up in the world over time. But in general, I see that I did not really apply myself as much as I could. So again, this is in that category of, you know, how, how does an introvert, um, what does complacency look like for an introvert? It looks like not doing things, including, you know, f uh, committing to things. I was super reluctant to participate in stuff. My, you know, my default answer about did I want to do something was usually no in, until I made sure I understood, well, what exactly are we talking about? How long mm -hmm. does it take? How are we getting there? No, I didn't yeah. feel safe until I felt like I understood what was going on. And so if someone says, hey, do you want to go do this? Well, no. And what that meant to me was I'm not even sure what you're asking me. Yeah. Yet. And so, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to commit to something if I'm not even sure what you're asking me. So just generally not applying myself, you know, that could be at work. Certainly that's, uh, you know, part of what's going on with the house maintenance or the car repairs and mm -hmm. the other stuff that I talked about. But th that that was absolutely true. I know that. Yeah. And my answer was, is it going to involve drinking? And if it did, then I was game. <laughs> and if it didn't, then not so much. <laughs> How close to the bar is this place you want me to go to? <laughs> exactly. Stumbling distance, that's acceptable. Any further than stumbling distance and maybe not so much. But let's shift gears yeah. now here for a minute. Uh, so now that we know about this complacency that we, we trust we're not the only ones. Uh, who have this in our past. What is the solution? Well, in unity, as always, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. That's our starting point. Yep. In fact, in unity, our foundational belief is that there's only one presence and one power in the universe, God the good. So by extension, we also affirm that God is love. This means uh, that love can be seen even perhaps as the energy behind the universe. I've heard people express it like that. And maybe that even which makes up the universe. Love is also one of unity's 12 powers from Mr. Fillmore's uh, 12 powers framework. And that love is what we want to focus on today. But what does it mean to say something like God is love? And what do we mean when we say that love is the only enduring power in the universe, for example, how can the power of love transform us and transform our lives? So um, thinking about love, and I think clearly there's so many aspects to that word, so many things that it could mean different contexts uh, to different people. But what comes to mind for you when you think about um, love? What does the power of love mean to you? So I thought the same thing, that I think the kind of love that we're talking about today, we're not talking about romantic love. Um, we're not talking about, what are the Greek words? <laughs> the different kind of... Yeah, words. agape, Yeah, uh, which is divine love. Philo, which is like brotherly or, uh, you know, buddies, we're friends. And right. then uh, eros, which is romantic love or the, mo the most used three. So when I think of when we talk about the power of love and we're using capital L for love today to sort of distinguish which type of love we're talking about, for me, that's that transcendent love of God. It's like a cosmic 
force really it's and you know we stumble i stumble over my words because it's something that's very difficult to even describe and put into words but it's um it's for me it is the foundational spiritual principle that guides every aspect of my life and it's something that i learned when i came into unity um when i walked into my church some 26 years ago i think 20, well, maybe maybe 24 years ago, I saw, you know, hanging from the pulpit, there was a little sign that said, God is love. And that was pretty much my sign that I was in the right place. And that has proven to be the foundational principle in my own church. That's where we start from. And you and I were talking before, you know, we started the program that there's a certain choice in that to believe that that's true. And we, we start from that place, we make a choice to believe that God is love, and that love is the power behind everything in the universe. And because of our law of mind action, when we start from that place, that's what we experience. Yes, and, and the first thing that comes to mind for me is that uh, phrase we've heard so much, God is love. And I, I use that at least in part, it's to me, it's not so much attempting to be some kind of objective definition. I'm not trying to define God as much as I am affirming what to me is a essential quality of this thing that I use the word God to point at. Again, you know, words are signposts. And the word God, if someone asked me, do you believe in God? I need to know what they're talking about. Yeah. You need to define God before I can give you an honest answer. Or I can, you know, I can define God. Well, here, here is my understanding. Here is what my belief system is. Um, but when I say God is love, that is in large part also an affirmation, the saying that I choose to live in a universe where the guiding power, that which underpins everything, is somehow or other you know, connected with this thing that I call love. And so when I think about what does the power of love mean? What does it look like? Well, it looks like God is love, which is, um, you know, me creating a way of seeing that supports not only my own growth and development over time, but that of everybody else at, at the same time. We all, we can say we all exist in a field of love. And again, yes. I'm not trying to make, you know, I'm not pretending that I can make some kind of absolute statement of truth. I am uh, affirming and sharing a way of seeing. Well, uh, you all may not know that Reverend Dan here was my Bible teacher in seminary. So uh, I'm sure you can tell us how many times in the Bible it says that God is love. Go ahead, tell us. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> but um, like you said, it's a choice, and we talked about this earlier. Also, that um, it's it's a choice to see the world as the not the world, the universe as benevolent, as being somehow biased for good. That it's not just neutral. We're not just floating along. There is some upward progressive expansive movement to the universe and um you had quoted martin luther king earlier and or i guess you were going to sorry i just 
stole your thunder, <laughs> that the arc of justice or the arc of history bends towards justice. It's that similar, you know, it's that it's it's a choice to believe that way, that there is a bias for good in the universe, that there is a power of love that lies behind everything and is the motivating power in everything. So there's that piece of it where it's a choice. And then also there's the piece where it becomes our experience. And I know that I've had that experience in moments of contemplation, of prayer, of communion with God, that I don't need the intellectual explanation of it. I know it in my core. I know that that's the power in the universe. That's what, when I reduce myself down to what I am at my core, it is that which is love. I, I agree. And the what you know, what's coming to mind right now is the understanding that you know whatever the core truths of the universe and of God are, they're not it, that words have nothing to do with it. You know, words is just the only the 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 only tool, one of the only tools that we have to try and communicate with one another. Things, even the things that have nothing to do with words and language, even experiences that, that, um, you know, even the best descriptions are, are clumsy. Uh, so we do the best that we can, but yes, um, you know, being, being part of a, um, a contemplative Christian path for me personally, I'm talking about, uh, you know, that, that, uh, felt experience of God, whatever that is, um, that sort of sits at the center of yeah. my understanding and, and my path, if you will, you know, the path, the path of spirituality that I walk, it sits in the center of it. And to answer your question, God is love comes, of course, from first John, one of the one of the letters from the Johannine community, which also produced the gospel of John yes. and the gospel of John is, you know, it, it's all about love. It's practically right. wall to wall. It's quite different um, in that way. So. In unity, we have this dynamic, I see it as a dynamic interplay between our first and second principles. The first principle being that there's one power and one presence in the universe, God the good, which we've just defined for us at least is also a God of love. And the second principle that we are made in that image and likeness of God, which means that we too are love. So this is a really important piece of it. Um, not only do I come to see God as love, but I have to begin to come to see myself as love and that I am the beloved child of God, of that divine power. I'm created out of love. I'm created in love. And to the beginning of that awareness is where the transformation began for me also. So to embrace that, that there's this... Uh, infinite transcendent love in the universe and that it loves me and that it expresses as me as love in the universe yeah that's that's kind of my school of thought and and even sometimes um in my head maybe out loud i i add to, for myself whatever that means yes uh, you know to just to acknowledge that the truth is not in my words. The truth is whatever the truth is. And I'm doing my best to share my current experience of, not even understanding of, but experience of that truth of God's presence, whatever it might be. You know, love as one of Unity's 12 powers. So 
Um, Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore identified 12 abilities or what he called 12 powers that all people have. We're using them all the time, though we may be unaware of how we're using them. And love is one of them. And that in the 12 powers framework from Unity is defined as the ability to attract, unify, and desire. Now, I've, I have not found that definition super helpful on yeah. its own, but what I have found super helpful about it is that those attributes, attract, unify, and desire, help me to see it in the world in a way. I don't know. It's almost like each of them is a lens yeah. that allows me to see, okay, here's this you know, unifying aspect of love. It's, it's bringing together. It's, a, it's attracting. It's desiring. It's... Um, you know, I don't know what else to call it. It's harmonizing, perhaps, in a way. Yes, yes, the uh, harmonizing so that, principle. Yeah, that's how that's how I found um, the Unity Twelve Power definition of love to be helpful, and and it really is helpful as I look at, um, you know, tr- trying to, I guess, characterize, if you will, my experience in the world, even though it's wordless. Yes. Uh, we still we do the best we can, and those are some words that I find really helpful for to help me characterize this thing that we're attempting to point at that we call love. So one of the questions you asked leading into this section was, how can the power of love transform us and transform our lives? And I've talked about love as a power in the universe, love being God, and then I've talked about us also being made of that love so that we are also love the next extension of that for me is self-love now is there a greek word for that <laughs> not that i know of off the top of my okay. head okay so you know there's there's a popular sort of pop pop uh you know spirituality pop psychology statement that says that we have to love ourselves before we can love others and i'm not saying that's wrong but I'm saying it's not complete. I think there is also, it also moves in the other direction. I can begin to love myself because God loves me. So that's the way it became a transforming power for me. So the next logical step to this whole thing about love is self-love. And it's really been the piece for me in the past couple of years. Um, So what I'm saying is it, it takes... For me, it took quite some time to really get to what that meant. Um, Not as the pop culture, um, you know, self-love, whatever that's supposed to mean, but as a true transformative um, acceptance, unconditional acceptance and love of self. I love that way of seeing it. I'm so glad you shared that. I affirm, again, love always wins. That could mean a lot of things. But let's hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation. Please stay with us. listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back. We're glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett here with Reverend Michelle Jellinch. We'll resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Uh, You can message us from there or comment on one of our posts during the week. And we'll respond during the show to a listener question or comment each week. So please let us know what's on your mind. So prior to the break, we were discussing the power of love, what love is, what that means to us, what it means when we say God is love. We also talked about how that power of love can transform us, especially as part of the recovery process. And then we ended the segment talking a little bit about self-love. And I think that's going to lead really nicely into our next portion of the program. So we're talking now, Dan, about the challenge of complacency and, and that the solution is the power of love. So how exactly does the power of love lead us to freedom? What comes to mind for me is uh, several things, you know, like so much in my experience in addiction recovery, there's not one thing, there's not one, you know, approach or saying or phrase or way of seeing that sort of, you know, resolve the whole thing. It's, it's a whole bunch of different things all working somehow in concert together. And one of those things that's always comes to mind for me is community. And in this case specifically, the love that I developed over time for others in my recovery community, um, especially in my home group, um, that that became a place where just being in that community after some time, not always at first, but after some time, just being in the in the community even if i wasn't even if i didn't talk that day just being there brings healing i think just there's somehow it is um you know a healthy group is a healing container and all i've got to do is show up and be there you know and be a part of it and yeah maybe i i participate maybe i volunteer for some service maybe i host a meeting or or maybe i just show up and and just be a presence, you know, being a, being a part of it. So that affection that began and then developed really into, um, a kind of, um, you know, that, that philo, that, that camaraderie that I think even then grows to more of a, a, a total acceptance in the form of agape love that I found in the community that that's a way that love helped me begin to heal and healing is, you know, when we talk about get moving out of complacency, so sort of a fearful way of living, and into a, a something that truly feels like freedom. Um, the the love that I found in the community was certainly a big part of what helped me to do that. You know, I wonder if everyone or many people have had that experience um, going to maybe one's first twelve step meeting and experiencing that powerful love. You know, that, um, well, for me, it was an experience of sharing, you know, when we come into recovery, when I came into recovery, I, who knows what I was spouting in those meetings, but, you know, they just, you know, you're so full of stuff and you just blurt out all this stuff. And then to have people just come up to me afterwards, like, 
you know, what, 10, 15 people coming up, giving me phone numbers and telling me, you know, we're glad you're here and you're in the right place. And, and then that holding hands at the end and saying the Lord's prayer together. I mean, for me, that was a very deep, um, profound experience because I didn't have a community like that before. So for me, it really began with that unconditional love of my, uh, my 12 step recovery group. And then as I found unity, I found an even, an even more expansive community where I was loved unconditionally. And, you know, I think I've heard people say, you all loved me back to life, you know, and I think that's true in unity. Um, I have seen so many people come to a unity service for the first time and sit there in the pews with tears streaming down their face through the entire service. And I was one of those the first time I came into a unity Sunday service. And it was that overwhelming feeling of love and just that relief, that relief that, wow, you know, there's such a community as this that accepts me as I am and loves me back to life. And that I I talked a little bit in the last segment about how for me that self-love can begin with others loving me. Um, It doesn't for me, it doesn't hold true that I can't love someone else until I love myself. Um, I can learn to love myself by loving others and by them loving me. It's not just like a one directional flow of things. And so that process of having that unconditional love and acceptance from the group began the transformation process for myself, which over many, many years and lots and lots of work have led to a truly deep love of myself. Yeah, I really appreciate your how you expressed that experience that so many have coming into a unity church. And I've I've shared before a couple stories where it hit really hit me profoundly. Um because I can get I can get used to the fact that that love underlies really all that we do in unity. It shows up as acceptance. That's one mm-hmm. of the first ways that um, I saw it is it shows up as a kind of, um, you want to call it unconditional. I'm sure there are conditions if we wanted to get extreme, but you know, not as, as far as just the day-to-day who we are in life. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of acceptance that I've, I've found in unity. Another, another way that I, I feel that love helped me move out of complacency and into freedom is by somehow um, giving me courage, you know, to to look at what I had been avoiding, and yes. some of that certainly comes up in in step work. But what I have found is that that same kind of thing, you know, c- courage to look at something, courage to take something on instead of avoiding it, uh, continued to and continues to in the present tense unfold uh, very much over time. So I, I can feel a connection. I'm not sure if I could explain it well right now, but a connection uh, that love somehow helped me with the courage to look at what I had always tried to avoid. Absolutely. I think for me, that is the crux of what we're talking about today. That's what the power of love does, because we're talking about the 12-step process and specifically the eighth step, making that list of amends and becoming willing to make amends, um, to clear away the wreckage of our past, to uh, heal and restore and reconcile those relationships that were damaged by our active addiction, 
And so I think it's absolutely true that love is the power that underlies that process. Um, I remember when I did my fourth step, I don't know about you, Dan, but my fourth step was more like a fourth novel. (laughs) (laughs) It was quite long. And God bless my sponsor. I mean, she sat there with me through the entire thing. It must have been hours. And I've, I've shared before, that was the single greatest act of love I had ever experienced at that time, was somebody being willing to sit there with me in my pain and uh, witness, be a witness to my pain and um, just be that unconditional source of support and love and acceptance. And because that act of love was given to me, that became that power of love that began to help me be able to see those things with clarity that needed to be cleared away. So I think they are absolutely connected. Yeah, we talk about um, how with with the 12 powers, the, the idea behind the 12 powers is not that we you know didn't have them and now we do. We've always had them, we've always used them, but we are uh, can be unaware or unconscious of the ways that we use them. And what I really felt there as you shared that beautiful uh, experience of working with your sponsor is that your sponsor showed you by the way they showed up. Right. A, a very high level, if you will, use of the power of love. Like here is how it works when it's highly functional. It's like, yes. oh, okay. You know, I, I might be, uh, you know, attracted and trying to unify myself with the bottle of tequila. That That's not a, <laughs> a particularly helpful uh, use of the power of love, although one could certainly argue that it is the power of love. But we want to learn to use these things in, um, you know, what the what the Buddhists might call skillful manners. Yes. Um, you know, when I think about that unity, 12 powers definition of love, where it talks about the power to unify and attract and desire, that unify piece uh, brings to mind for me always instantly the concept of integrity. So I'm going to unify the, how I am on the inside with mm-hmm. how I show up in the world on the outside. Yes. And so the power of love with that, you know, that that flavor, if you will, that aspect of it that we uh, use the word unify, one thing that it helped me to do is to come into integrity, to unify the way that I showed up in the world uh, slowly over time. You know, largely, I was largely not aware of it happening, but, you know, that's the kind of thing that in hindsight you can see, I can see, I saw and more easily realized um, what was going on. That yeah. it, did, it did happen um, even though I, I'm not, uh, you know, too concerned about what the exact mechanism is, uh, the way that it happened is by showing up in um, up in places that were rooted in healthy expressions of love and by committing myself to um, a recovery path. You know, another way that the uh, power of love helped me move from that complacency of not wanting to own my stuff, let's say, um, to freedom, to a place of freedom, is because that transformative love of God, which became a love also of self, meant that I didn't have to be perfect. So perfection was a a real thing for me. Um, I think 
there's a, a, a need to be perfect because of a deep, uh, a deep self-doubt, self-loathing, self-negative self-talk, negative self-image, all these things that get imprinted on us at a very young age sometimes. And um, my need to be perfect was to not feel that pain of being imperfect, of making mistakes. So when I came to learn that there was a God of love and that that God of love loved me unconditionally, it meant that I didn't have to be perfect anymore. I could be human and I could make mistakes. That was the step. I don't know if that makes sense, but for me, you know, it was extremely hard for me to say out loud that I had made a mistake. It just was. I just, I didn't learn that. Um, I don't know. It felt like some sort of, it felt like exposing myself. Like if I say this thing about myself, um, I'm just exposing how rotten and horrible I am inside. Cause that's how quick I would get there. Right. From like, I made some small mistake, go straight to, I'm, a, you know, the piece of garbage that, you know, the universe rotates around. So, <laughs> um, to begin to see that it's okay to be human. It's okay to make mistakes. Um, that's, that's who we are. And that's the beginning of being able to see those things. And then the next step, you know, is in taking that, actually taking the ninth step and making those amends is that desire to clear those things away. Then, you know, when we begin or when I began to admit something that I had done and the universe didn't stop, you know, existing. I didn't, you know, sort of <laughs> poof into dust or something. I lived through it. Let's say <laughs> I lived through it. Then it was like, Oh, okay. This isn't so bad, you know? And, and it's just become a process of being willing to own my behavior. I mean, I'm not going to tell you I'm fond of it. <laughs> it's not something I enjoy doing. But every time I own up to something and I live through it, uh, it strengthens that ability and that belief in myself that it's, I don't have to be perfect. I can make mistakes. I'm still worthy. I'm still loved. I'm still, you know, I'm not a piece of garbage or I'm not, I don't have that rotten feeling inside anymore. Yeah, you're okay. That's what I'm hearing. I, I hear the acceptance running yeah. all through what you're sharing and that is so powerful and just all by itself just so healing in some way that I don't pretend to understand that I I can have a sense of I am okay even though you know even though I made a mistake even though you know I do this other thing or this other thing is true about me that I have some shame around I'm still okay because I can accept myself, others accept me as I accept them. You know, it's that whole sort of rising spiral, if you will, of kind of like you were sharing before with, um, you know, do I have to love myself first before I can love others or is right. it the other way around? Well, for me, kind of like you were saying, it, it's a spiral. It, it, it shifts right. from outward looking to inward looking and then it, the whole thing just rises uh, along with itself. Another thing that comes to mind for me, and I'm still thinking about that Unity 12 power definition of love, it, it uses the word attract, you know, the power to attract. And when I think about the recovery path, my recovery experience, and, you know, so where is this attracting aspect of love showing up? Uh, to me, it helped to put my attention 
on recovery. I was attracted to what I felt in the rooms. I was attracted to what I saw that other people had, you know, an, an easygoing way, a, a just, you know, a generally, generally, um, you know, they, they really seem to be okay. And like, well, I want to feel like that too. <laughs> you know, we talk about if, if we, we look for someone if we, and see, if, do we want what they have, then yeah. maybe that's someone we want to connect with, maybe even in a, you know, a sponsorship kind of role. But that, that attracting aspect of love in, in one way that it showed up for me was I was attracted to the gifts of the program, maybe the promises yes. is probably the clearest way that they're expressed. But even before I made that connection, you can feel it. You know, you can feel it in that acceptance, like you were sharing, and in in the not only in the healing, but also in the results of the healing that are apparent. And again, I could not have named any of this stuff, but you, I could feel all of it. I, I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not sure what it was, but I'm like, whatever this is, this is a way better way to be in the yes. world. And I want what these people have. Yes, 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 yes. So we're talking today about freedom and um, another big concept, you know, but particularly as it pertains to the eighth step, Eighth and ninth steps are pretty connected for me. Um, you you talked about uh, what the results are of this work that we do, and the results of the work are the freedom, the freedom that we begin to feel when we do diligently do this work, which is to, you know, take that inventory and make that list of amends and begin to start to actively clear away those lingering things that are, you know, that are eating away at us, that, that are taking our freedom, basically, they're stealing our freedom, they're stealing our joy, they're stealing our essence, really, they're just killing us from the inside, you know, and so, to me, that's what it means when, you know, we hear God's, well, I think of it as God's love is the truth that sets us free, that, that fact that God is love, that we are love, that God loves me, is what sets me free. And so, you know, getting in there and doing that eighth and ninth step work leads us to that freedom, that, that free feeling, that lightness that we begin to feel, that I began to feel when I began to face some of these things and clear some of them away. Freedom from that, that guilt and shame that just basically followed me around like a dark cloud everywhere, freedom from carrying the burden of those things that needed to be amended, freedom from resentments. Now we talk a lot about this in 12 step, that resentments are basically the kiss of death for us, right? We cannot walk around with these deep resentments eating us alive. So how do we get rid of those things so we can experience that freedom? Well, we use this power of love that we're talking about today to give us the courage to do this kind of work um, so that we can, you know, another word for amends is atonement. And a lot of people like to break that down to at-one-ment. And so when we go, let's get into the nitty gritty. So when we go to someone that we've got, you know, this issue with this amends that needs to be made and we make that amends there is an at-one-ment that happens. We are at one with that person. And that, that 
thing that was between us is cleared away. And that's the beginning of their being able to be love restored to that relationship. You know, that's the amends, a living amends. Amends is not just going and saying, I'm sorry, I did this thing. Yeah. Amends is a restoration and a reconciliation process. And there is great freedom in that, of that course. That leads to freedom. And, and we know this from, you know, taking these steps, from doing these things and from experiencing this for ourselves. You know, there's a famous Bible passage from 1 Corinthians about love. It starts off, love is patient, love is kind. Uh, it, 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 and I... I get a little tired of it because it's a little shop-worn, but it's really profound. I mean, there's a reason that that gets used in so many weddings and yes. contexts. And one aspect of love that I glean from it, I you know, there's a few descriptors in there that I would say point to me, at uh, in, in to my eye, they're pointing at the concept of humility. So I I'm, I'm definitely get that mm -hmm. connection, humility as an aspect of love. And what that does for me, it's a form of acceptance in a way. You know, it allows me to move forward on my growth path, whatever that might be, you know, at, at the right pace. It's not a race and it's no. not a competition. Humility uh, helps me to understand that I'm not competing with other people right. on a recovery path. I'm not in a hurry to get it done. Um, there's no such thing as being in a hurry it it just allows me to be right where I am. And that's kind of, you know, that's the acceptance flavor of it that's coming in for me. Humility, the humility aspect of love allows me to be right where I am and not worry about it. You know, I've heard that expressed yeah. in a way. Um, uh, my spouse has done yoga for a long time and there she was advised in a yoga class because you can imagine you do a lot of comparing in there. The, the mantra was keep your eyes on your own yoga mat. Yes. Keep your eyes wow, on your own great. yoga mat. Do not, don't worry about what other people are doing. You know, this, that's right. pay attention to where you're at. You, you said, you know, this, and I think when you said this, you meant the 12 step recovery process in general, this is not a competition. And, you know, seeing it as a competition comes from the idea that we learn in our culture that either you can win or I can win, but we can't both win. That's what our culture teaches us. Yeah. So love comes in and says, no, 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 that's a falsity. That's not true. We can both win. So your, uh, you know, your growth, your good fortune has nothing to do with mine, doesn't take away from mine, doesn't compete with mine. The power of love says that, you know, they actually, um, they expand one another. And this is what we experience in unity and what we experience in the, those close-knit 12-step recovery groups, groups. I can rejoice with you in your good and see my own good expand as a result. It's not you or me. It's, it's us. And it occurred to me that, um, you know, this, this, making, this process of making amends can be delicate and best done with a sponsor. But we can also use the power of love to guide us to let us know when the amends are appropriate to be made and how to go about making those amends, coming always from a place of love. Yes, I'm gonna jump in because it's time to shift gears and turn our attention to a question or a comment from you, our listeners. Here's a question that often comes up when we talk about love in the context of recovery. I've heard it, I've heard that love is the spiritual principle behind the eighth step. 
which states made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. How do you see love as being connected with the eighth step? Well, I think we've kind of covered that a lot, but just to sort of recap, the eighth step is a desire for us to make amends, to atone, to, or as I mentioned, to come to at one mint with the other person. So it's a process of forgiveness and reconciliation. And the end goal is to restore those relationships that have been damaged. Um, so love is the motivating factor behind this endeavor. We're motivated by love. We're guided by love in the process. And it, it needs to, you know, it's a desire to be in a loving space with that person. Now, that doesn't always mean that yeah, I can't get into that, but it's it's the desire to be in a loving space, a place of peace with others and with ourselves. I heard a wonderful phrase early on that just jumps out to me, and it's it says that I allow others to have the dignity of their own process. Mm. I allow things to unfold as they need to unfold. I get myself out of the middle of someone else's experience. It, it allows us to hold others in the highest consciousness, if you will. And so in the uh, amends process, um, I, I don't need to worry about you know, what someone else is or isn't doing or right. how someone else, what they should or shouldn't have done. I can hold them in the highest as they do what they need to do. Yes. So we'd like to give you a takeaway, an affirmation that you can take with you to um, sort of use what we've been talking about today. And today we're going to offer the affirmation, God's love within me supports and allows me to face and clear away the wreckage of my past. That is beautiful. Well, we've come to the end of our time here together. and We hope you found something to help you on your recovery path. Thank you, Reverend Michelle, for our discussion. And thank you to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.